If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 89 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. If you're looking to improve your health or just seeking tips to stay well, we're here for you. This is a growing community on a mission to improve our experience together. You can listen to our entire back catalog of seasons over at highway2.health. That's highwayto.health. And while you're there, check out the Highway to Health Journal for more from the most brilliant and innovative minds in the world of health. And if you'd like to become more connected and keep up with everything that we've got going on, sign up for our monthly newsletter for a dose of love delivered right to your inbox. We promise to respect your time and we'll only send you things that add value to your life. I'm so excited to get this conversation going here with uh, Luke and Allie Peterson of Peterson Farms, a regenerative farm in Dawson, Minnesota. This is Luke's second time on the show. So if you missed uh, the first one, that's episode 18 of season two, where we discussed his background a bit more. We go on a little deeper dive into the practice of regenerative farming in this one and discussed a couple of documentaries that have come up recently, bringing more attention to the regenerative farming movement and how it may be the key to preventing a climate crisis. And Allie Peterson joins us. Besides being a part of the farm business, she's also a nurse practitioner and brings valuable insight into the correlation of soil health and our physical health. Every time I talk to these two, I feel incredibly inspired, and I, I think that you will be too. Here's my conversation with Luke and Allie Peterson. Welcome back to the podcast, Luke and, and Allie. Nice to have you on as well. The the dynamic duo, husband and wife team here. I thought it'd be great to, to bring you guys both into the conversation since we've had these conversations a little bit over the years. And and because of some stuff that's been becoming more public about regenerative farming, I wanted to kind of get a little deeper into that conversation and really kind of talk about where, you know, what your thinking is at this point, how your, you know, really how your careers and how your work is, how you're formulating what you want to be doing with the kind of health projects that you're involved in. And I, I got into watching the this uh, Netflix documentary, Kiss the Ground, and I, I totally remembered, you know, conversations that we had had. And I thought, you know, this is, this needs to kind of get pushed out there more. Maybe we can promote the the film in that way, and maybe we can talk about some of that a little bit more. So, for people who don't know much about regenerative farming, um, where, where where do you start having this conversation with people, Luke? It's a it's such a broad topic. It is kind of a hard conversation to start, but I think uh, overall, 
I think the place to start would be with people. It's a farming system that involves people. Um, and that means uh, eyes to acre ratios. Uh, so there's more farmers back on the land and instead of less. And if they have the, if we have more farmers on the land um, and not less of them, we will be able to do a better job of taking care of the land. Yeah. And ultimately, that, that that's it's 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 the land and the and the soil, you know, this this topsoil layer that has become problematic for farmers, right? Like the topsoil, the the, the the health of of the of the soil itself. Yeah, the health of the soil is deteriorating. There is no question about it. Um, and the difference between sustainable farming and regenerative farming is that regenerative farming is regenerating the soil instead of just sustaining its uh, current place. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So, so since in in the three years since we had our conversation for the podcast, um, you you were just about to start getting animals because that was kind of a crucial part, right, for for what you needed to do. Yeah, uh, livestock three years ago was kind of my missing piece, and we've uh, we started our own small grass fed beef herd, starting with low line Angus. Um, they were bred in Australia over like the last sixty years to finish well on forage. So like this, this line, they don't need to be fed grain in order to gain weight. Okay. So we'll be grazing our cover crops with them. And then uh, we have permanent pasture that we'll be grazing. And um, we also are introducing um, pasture into our rotation. So we're actually uh, becoming grass farmers in, hmm. uh, in row crop country. So uh, that'll be a new new thing that we're going to start next summer. We'll be planting um, that grass following this year's small grain crop, and it'll come up after next winter, and we'll start our rotational grazing system. So what's what's the reason for for the grass? Uh, so we can introduce uh, uh, more perennials. Okay. Um, and the grass is just kind of, you know, the perennial grass system. It kind of covers all five principles of soil health all in one shot. Gotcha. So, and, it, and if you think back to our natural ecosystem, um, I live in prairie country. So yeah. this, this, so we're kind of resorting back to how it just naturally would have been. Yeah. And and as far as as far as what needed to happen, you know, if you're you're obviously looking at the the land that you're using, what what is it about that land that needed re- regenerating? Well, over the years of intensive corn and soybean farming. The soil is starting to lose its organic matter. It's just been used for uh, monoculture uh, cropping. So it's been one species each year and, um, you know, for the sake of production. So uh, get as many bushels off it uh, as you can each year. And we're kind of moving away from that model and um, trying to, you know, have more of a diverse crop rotation. This next year we'll be planting up to 12 different crops. Uh, introducing cover crops. So we'll be planting cover crops after our annual crops. We've eliminated fall tillage, and then we've introduced livestock, and we're going to be introducing more perennials like uh, pasture and kernza. Okay. And and, and the reason, this is one of the things that I, I was kind of picking up from watching this documentary, is I didn't, I didn't realize 
the what happens with tillage you know and i and it was it was interesting i from i don't know how much you know about about my field but i i, I do a lot of work with fascia so ali ali probably knows a little bit more about this but fascia is like this this sort of network of uh, this connective tissue network that's enervated, but it kind of like holds together the whole structure. And as I'm watching this this documentary, they're talking about the glomulin and yep. and about this sort of network that's, I don't know how, maybe what, 10, 12 inches or something below the top of the soil, right? That yep. is basically sort of creating this same kind of network for for you know moisture and fluid to kind of you know rainwater to kind of move through it's a place that traps the carbon right and that's and that's kind of what what creates the growth right and so they and so they're talking about the tilling all of a sudden you know you're you know I'm, I'm thinking about the same kinds of things that we do to our bodies <laughs> you know just from 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 that surface that cause some of the same problems so is it do you guys think it's sort of similar to that in some ways Absolutely. I think like the mycorrhizal fungi and the whole network that exists below the soil that we can't really see, you know, with the naked eye that just promotes all of the life under the soil. Um, it, it definitely correlates with the fascia system in the human body. I just think that that's a really great analogy and comparison. I had not thought of that, but that's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, and it, I mean, it's, I feel like it's also sort of like the gut in some ways because you have all these, mi these microbes that are sort of, you know, that have this place and it's really those microbes that go into the food that go into our gut, you know? So it's, it, it, I just kept seeing all these correlations. Exactly. I thought that that was the correlation that I had made um, too, was just how like, the microbes in the soil, they take care of breaking down all of the plant matter. And, um, you know, if there is livestock on the land, they break down all of the manure, um, all of the dead growth and break it down into nutrients in the soil. And then the plants that we eat use those nutrients. And then when we eat the food, it isn't even us so much that eats the food as it is our gut bacteria. Right. And so... Um, we eat what our gut bacteria processes. Yeah. Um, and so that definitely, like, that was eye-opening. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think it's so, and for anybody who I, I haven't introduced you yet completely, Allie, but you're, you're a nurse practitioner, correct? Right, and, yes. And, and, you, and, and how long have you been doing this? I forget. Um, so, yeah, I, my trajectory, um, I've been a nurse practitioner since 2016, a nurse since 2011, yeah. um, and all through high school, I worked as a nurse's aide um, in a nursing home, and and so yeah, I've kind of been around healthcare my yeah, whole life. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> From that perspective, I, I guess you know, in terms of regenerative farming. I, I couldn't help but sort of see the correlation the la from the last time that we talked. It couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head about how you know basically if we're you know if if we get get into like the soil science and what needs to be in that soil in terms of the the, the chemical composition in terms of the the fungi and the and the bacteria those are all the things that are basically keeping us well too and and there's this you know I think Luke you did a, you did a great job explaining this so far I'm not going to go so deep into this this time but for anybody who wants to know more go back to listen to our earlier episode but but you talked about a, a lot about how you know there's there's this there's this uh, ecosystem that's going on between the bugs 
the the stuff that's growing and and that you know using using pesticides was was a way of managing bugs but that there's that there's a, a, a natural way of actually doing this and some of that has to do r- with like the cover crops that you grow and and that kind of stuff too right yeah i i would say just to put a broad blanket over everything is that the more diversity that i can bring to my farm the better mm-hmm. um the more di- more plant diversity that I bring, I'll I'll include uh, different bugs, and different bugs are beneficial bugs. For every pest that I will run into on the farm, there are 1,500 uh, beneficial bugs that will destroy that pest. So it, instead of spraying a pesticide to eliminate my my pest issue, um, what I'll do is I'll just plant the right crops that'll bring in the right insects to kind of take care of that for me. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I, th- I thought it was interesting in the documentary, they talked about sort of the, what, what happened in agriculture post-World War II and how they, they, they turned bugs into the enemy, the, the war on bugs, as they called it. <laughs> that, that, that there, was this, there was this, you know, feeling that if they could destroy all the bugs, they could speed up, you know, production or increase crop or whatever it is that they're trying to do. But as we're learning, you know, basically that that has backfired on us. And yet there's still a mechanism in place. And I know this is a bit of a dangerous topic, but it's but it basically where, where the funding is coming from for the farmers is is from subsidy at this point. And is, is that really what's kind of holding back? Do you think the the push towards more regenerative work with the with the with the, you know, the soil? I think I would, in my opinion, I think the subsidies are one of the biggest challenges that farmers face. Okay. Because um, they're given out to everybody. And if you don't take them, your neighbor will, and he'll outcompete you yeah. um, for the next farm that comes up for sale or the next farm that comes up for rent. So if you don't take them, you pretty much just aren't competitive anymore as far as uh, getting access to land. Um, so it's, it kind of leads, I think it does definitely lead farmers down a simplified, um, path and that is to produce as much as you can, as fast as you can. Um, and, um, to get away from that model is, is a challenge because it's hard to compete financially. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not meeting the revenue of some of those crops that are subsidized. Yeah. So, so are there any, is there, is there a way, is there, are there cooperatives now or is there any way for regenerative farmers to kind of start working together to, to, to change that model? I, I wouldn't say that there's any direct um, group or cooperative that you can really get involved with. What Allie and I have done um, kind of since we started was kind of just, um, making a brand for ourselves mm-hmm. and instead of going out and asking the market what will you buy from us we've been going out and asking what can we grow for you and if that oh, makes any yeah yeah so you go, we, you go directly to the business the businesses right. that, that need the products right um right now you know in our local community we can sell corn and soybeans yeah and that's it and that that though that rotation will never uh, meet our standards as a farm as far as where we want to be. So yeah. we would reach out to companies and we've been reached, uh, we've been asked from different companies if we would grow crops for them. 
And just to give you an example is a company like uh, Seven Sundays in Minneapolis. Um, they reached out to us and asked if we would grow uh, buckwheat for them. Buckwheat is a huge deal in our rotation because it cycles phosphorus really well. Okay. And like the less dependent we can be on outside outside sources of fertility, the better off that we're going to be. Okay. Um, and it also, you know, is a is a you know another home for all these beneficial bugs. Once I bring in a plant like that that flowers, it just teems with insects. Like the field is literally buzzing. It is alive <laughs> yeah. and vibrant. But it's what I've noticed with crops like alfalfa and the clovers and the buckwheats is that once I bring in those bugs, the whole chain like comes alive and it goes from the little bugs up to the pollinators and then the dragonflies and then the birds are chasing the dragonflies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The field. And then from there, like the pheasants come in and um, the frogs, the frogs are there eating the bug wow. and, and it's just like and the teen. deer and, yeah, the wildlife is just... But it's all because I was able to plant, you know, an alternative crop. And these, you know, buckwheat doesn't yield a lot. And that's probably why it's been outcompeted by something like corn. Yeah. But our farm has moved in the direction of selling ingredients. Right. So we will get it processed and then we sell food. Um, and we try to sell it as local as possible. Okay. So, so but, it's... And when it comes to buckwheat, like there's, it's not only so beneficial for like our farm, but for people, um, you know, that really can't tolerate gluten very well. Buckwheat yeah. is such a nice alternative yeah. um, to be able to to have. And so, yeah, it's. And and I think that's that's essential right now. I mean, it's one of those it's one of the it's one of those things that also became subsidized, right? And why there's so much, and why I think sometimes we end up with these corn and gluten issues and you know is that we're we're sort of you know overwhelming our system's ability to process some of this stuff we should be eating more diversely as well right yeah yeah and and if I, if i can and if i can diversify my farm i can help diversify everybody's diet yeah. you know and yeah. it's a it's a it's such a complex issue but what i need is a market yeah so Which, so how how is like like let's let's take this buckwheat example so how how lucrative is that in comparison to if you were, you know, doing soybeans and corn? It doesn't bring the revenue of corn and soybeans. Okay. But I look at it from a from the uh, through the lens of the non-cash benefits that I'm receiving from growing buckwheat. Okay. And what I kind of meant by the phosphorus is, um, you know, that cycles phosphorus really well through my soil and makes it available for the next crop. So I have to. I can buy less phosphorus uh, the next year for the next crop. So that you know, that, like, that fertilizer cost is is brought down. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's the non-cash benefits, and it's the tilth of the soil. Yeah. After planting buckwheat, the tilth of the soil is incredible, um, and then that makes it easier for me when I do my my weed management. The soil flows nicely over my shovels, and I can cover up the weeds within the row for like my bean crop. Okay. So it's just so many different things. And then like bringing in those insects, um, I'll have less of an aphid issue in that bean crop the next year. Gotcha. So, and another nice thing about buckwheat is that you can, you can follow it with um, like a covered crop 
or even like a winter wheat that uh, or Kernza could be planted after buckwheat um, so that because buckwheat is harvested I think this last year it was like mid-August mm-hmm. um, and so there's still part of the fall growing end of summer into fall growing season that's left for plants to like establish um, and get a root system started so that that the um, the soil is covered over winter and it okay. is left. So, so, so it gives you, so, so you can actually add another, you know, season of something by, by planting that way, right? Yep. Which adds to the diversity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and buckwheat is just one example. Each crop has its place in the rotation and uh, they each do something for the crop that follows it. Okay. And so what's, what's changed with, I, I know you, you took on this, you know, much bigger acreage, right? Since... Uh, that was yep. just starting the last time I talked to you. So how how many acres are you farming now? I think when we talked three years ago, I was farming 80 acres. That's and right. Yeah. In 2021, we'll be farming 750 acres. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So it'll be a, it'll be, a, it'll be good because um, we've learned how to, you know, spread out our workload. Yeah. Uh, introducing these other perennials. I'm not in, I'm not in those fields um, as much as my row crops. Okay. Uh, and then I need the acreage to support like the livestock and as far as like where I want to be one day with livestock, uh, things like that. So, 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 and it provides more of a rest period for, for farms in that rotation when I, if I add more acres to it. Okay. And, and what would be the ideal, you know, number of, of livestock then to have on hand for that, that amount of acres? It'll, it would take a lot like plant, Plants feed the soil on, on their own with the rotation, um, kind of like with the buckwheat, like we talked, or like peas would contribute and add nitrogen. Yeah. Um, and you can do it with plants. Um, and I, I am still sourcing fertility from off the farm to replace um, the grain that I'm selling. But it would take a considerable amount of livestock. And um, that that's just going to take us time. And once again, it would, it's going to take a market. Like currently, um, livestock are not, they're not profitable on a small scale. Yeah. Just because of the infrastructure that it takes. It takes fencing, water lines, waters, um, you know, like the infrastructure just kind of uh, really outweighs what you can profitably make on, on livestock. And, you know, that's kind of why it's, you know, everything's being pushed into the confinement model is you can put a lot of animals in a small space. Right. And um, that's where profitability lies. Is in numbers. In the numbers, yeah. In the numbers and the, like how much time that you spend managing right. those yeah. animals. And in our system, you know, we want to like move the cattle each day and we want to yeah. graze them uh, on our crop and things like that, which takes a lot of time. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so in order to move, I can't give you like an exact number. It really depends on your rotation and stuff, but it would, it would take a lot more than we have now. And we'll keep growing those numbers as far as fast as the market will buy uh, the product from us. Gotcha. I mean, that was the one thing that was, I think made very clear in that, in that documentary was that, you know, these plain States, you know, had about 60 million, you know, Buffalo before, you know, we came in and, and, 
moved things or killed so many of them. I mean, I think that's that was part of what was going on with the early settlers is they knew that the native people here were dependent on the resource of the buffalo. And that was one way to basically sort of move them out of places, I think, right? And now we're down to a few thousand buffalo, I think, you know, on the continent. So it just goes to show what that was doing for the land to have those animals in there. And, you know, a, another part that, you know, I think, that really was driven home for me was was this this balance between that that topsoil the, the the quality of that topsoil what's growing and then the the transpiration you know of 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 water moving through the plant into the atmosphere rather than the carbon just being lost right out of the soil and what that does for the environment itself you know in terms of you know the the amount of of CO2 in the atmosphere and that 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 green that's growing that also is above ground is is a big part of what's absorbing some of that extra. Isn't that kind of how it works? Yeah, yeah. The more biomass we can grow, um, the more carbon we can store, and then we want the water that falls from the sky in the form of rain to leave through the plant. We don't want it to leave as runoff over the soil. Right, right. Into our streams, taking the soil and the nutrients with it. So, yeah, it, it definitely, um, the more biomass that we can grow, the more carbon we can store. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things that I don't think we, we this, is, this is one of the reasons I love talking to you guys, because, you know, as, a, as an urban dweller for most of my life, you, and I, luckily I, I had experience as a, as a child and being on farms in, in Iowa with my, you know, my grandparents, but I think we 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 lose a lot of connection to to the food and and how that food is grown and and what what happens when we're not when we're not you know farming in 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 the right ways and the as far as the environmental impact of you know the the what's going on with heating up the planet a lot of that comes you know what I got anyways from the documentary and maybe you can tell me some things that that, that they missed here too but you know that was that seemed like a big piece of things that if that if that soil is is well then we, then we have this whole cycle with rain with with carbon everything kind of stays sort of within check it's it's almost like that that extra you know growth that's that's going on is a is a form of insulation whether it's that topsoil layer or what grows out of it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think that the it was it was so simply put in the documentary that the quality of the soil is equal to the health of the human yeah. and how with the the desertification that's happening on the lands, it, it leads to poor soil quality yeah. and poor soil is equal to poor people. Yeah. You know, you look at the, um, the immigration, the floods and the drought, the social breakdown that we see, it is all related to the fact that there are people across the globe that, that have lost the health of their soil yeah. and they're looking for, you know, more opportunity and, um, I just think until we figure that out, you know, it's. Uh... And you mentioned, uh, you know, some things that maybe they had missed. Um, so as a farmer watching this movie the whole time, yeah. to be honest, I was kind of like, I don't know, a little bit torn, a little bit frustrated. I definitely give them like, like they did a very good job of getting the message across. Yeah. Um, and, they, and, and, and you can't get into the weeds. It's really easy to get into the weeds and get off topic on this because it's such a broad topic. But like what I thought as a farmer watching it was most farmers pr- 
and I say most, not all, but most farmers would love to do all these practices. Yeah. But the problem is, like I mentioned earlier, if if I don't have a market for these alternative crops or, you know, like they really had an emphasis on livestock, which is, you know, like the biggest principle of soil health that we can talk about. It's super controversial because supposedly cows are the problem, um, right, but really they right. also are the solution if, if it's done right. And um, if we don't have a market for those livestock, uh, we just can't be competitive like we talked about earlier. Right. So th- at that point, it's kind of out of the hands of the farmer. I, I, I totally understand that. And it's interesting because I'm basically what in in what is probably called you know an integrative health field now. I mean, we keep changing the name, you know, but it used to be alternative health or holistic health or whatever. It keeps kind of you know changing. But the the one thing you know, I I work in a field that's that's very specialized. Craniosacral therapy is a kind of osteopathic method, um, but it's very similar to sort of working you know in within a larger system of of health. You know, in, in the same way that it would be probably to be a regenerative farmer in a in a big ag world, right? And it's yeah. you know, it's it's hard because I, I'm in this I'm in the same situation. I've I've really just sort of adapted to the, to my communities and trying to figure out what's what does the community need from me. My education has sort of grown based on the needs of the communities that I've been in. So, you know, when I was in New York, when I first got there, I was working with a lot of people with sort of chronic back pain and doing some work in in athletics and sports performance stuff too. But then as I moved into another community, there was a big need for uh, work with babies, new mothers, new families. And so my, my whole practice kind of shifted a little bit more. And since I've been in Minneapolis, I've been more connected with, um, uh, um, a few different fields. One is dentistry and another is working with, um, people with toxicity issues with, with trauma, um, and autistic children and people who have been, you know, struggling with issues from Lyme. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about, about each of these, you know, little subdivisions is that I, I'm, I'm not able to coordinate as well as I'd like to with the bigger systems because there's no method for, for us to sort of, you know, grow these, these things together. So it's just so much extra time on my part. A lot of times conversations with people trying to develop these relationships, lots of meetings that I don't get paid for, but that's the only way that I feel like the the right quality of care can happen. Yeah. So in a sense, you're, you're finding markets, but you have to build them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Help create them. And that's pretty much what you're doing, right? The same thing. <laughs> same thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And That's and, cool. and 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 are the, I mean this the one thing that I'm finding for myself in this is that I I have a I think I'm getting you know more and more of an instinct for other people who even even you know different doctors who have basically kind of said I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slip out of my whatever my traditional hat was because. I'm a pediatrician, but I'm really interested in functional medicine and more, you know, nutraceutical type, you know, care because the drugs weren't working for these conditions that I was working on anyway. So I'm going to become more specialized in a direction. But then, you know, they basically have to do what I'm doing too. And then we fall outside of the insurance system, which then limits oh. where, you know, how we can provide that care too. Well, with, with farming, um, so like some crops that I grow, I can't buy crop insurance on. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like the Kernza is just an example. 
uh, it's so new, the benefits are insane. Oh, that wow. As far as building soil, it's a perennial. Uh, but as far as buying crop insurance for it, I'm not able to even buy crop insurance for it. So I plant these crops without even uh, without any insurance behind me. And then planting these crops without a market yet, because unless I have something to bring to market, nobody can use it yet. Yeah. So you're really just planting these things and hoping that somebody out there somewhere will uh, will kind of jump on board with you and keep the process going forward. But, yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there any are there any new markets happening with within agriculture besides like soybean uh, soybeans yeah. corn and hay which which are like all basically used to feed you know cattle for the most part right right yeah uh, alternative markets like uh, Kernza is is a big one that I think is going to be commercialized on a national level okay um, what, what is what is Kernza used for yeah right now it's you know, I think a big market is going to be for local breweries. Ah. Um, either we're in discussion with company uh, Patagonia, mm-hmm. and they're starting a beer called Long Root Ale. Um, they'll be using it in a like a Kernza granola bar eventually. And um, there's a cracker company that's using it. Um, it makes really good pancakes. Hmm. Um, and then you know, adding that. Adding that perennial and a different crop adds diversity, and then um, just all around, it just helps everything that we're doing. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is, and, and with Patagonia, you mean the clothing company Patagonia, or? Yeah, their food line is uh, Patagonia Provisions. Okay. And yeah. they're starting to make, uh, and one of the labels that they're starting to work on is the ROC label. So it's regenerative organic certified. And that's a certification that me and Ellie are working on on the farm too. So okay. it's just, uh, there's just more standards and um, you have to look at all aspects of your farm, social, economically, and environmentally. Yeah. Mm, so, yeah. More yeah. transparency. Or we should anyways. We should all be doing this. Yeah. So, so Allie, you're sort of between these fields. Then, then you're so involved in in, in both of these. I'm I'm sure that that there's got to be something that's there's got to be some kind of thread here that's that's starting to kind of grow for you in terms of how you're thinking about helping people improve their their health. Then too, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I you know I think just as we as we had said before, you know, I think that the the health of the soil is just so directly correlated with the health of the people. Yeah. And we talked about the gut microbiome, but even in terms of just like the community, you know, and the opportunity for people yeah. um, with or without opportunity for people comes mental health, you know, it comes social connection, yeah. Yeah. education. Um, and it's all definitely, it's all definitely combined. Um, when you look at the big picture. Uh, absolutely. Know, I, that's that's yeah. that's kind of what I've been exploring with the podcast. I mean, in a nutshell, you just basically said it because like I I can't think, you know, with 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 our environment not being in a good place, we're not going to get the right kind of nutrient in the in the food. We're, we're going to, you know, the that means the community that this is, you know, nearest to is also going to struggle. And you see, I mean, you know, just from from now working in different communities, you know, through my career, you see the impacts of these kinds of things, you know, with, with the people too. 
And so I, you know, I can't help but feel like, you know, people need to be educated a little bit more. And is, is that something that you do? You, do you talk about any of this, any of the food related things with your patients? I do. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think that, and I don't mean to like get political with this conversation, but I think that such a big issue in our nation when we talk about just like health on a cultural and a national scale is the fact that health insurance comes through employment for mm-hmm. so many people. Yeah. And so for people to, you know, have that coverage, they end up being so um, controlled in a sense by their employer, you know, like yeah. their yeah. ability to have the time and the freedom to source local food, let alone grow their own food yeah. or, you know, be able to find access to, to healthy food. I just think that like, it's all related. And if we put everybody somehow on the same playing field, you know, that everybody got the same quality of healthcare, no matter who they were in this country, um, that we would just open up the floodgates for possibilities in terms of people to eat better and to have time to exercise and connect with their families. Um, and, and, you know, for, for there to be entrepreneurship and small businesses and, and, and creativity and culture back again, you know, I just, I think that that is, if, if there's one thing, I just think that like our healthcare system right now in the way, like you said, insurance works and how it, how it doesn't, um, how it isn't favorable for some of our integrative approaches. Yeah. So, so many times get to the root cause of the problem. Um, when we talk about diet and we talk about, um, movement and, and some of these things, as opposed to so much of what I see on my side of the fence, um, as a nurse practitioner in a rural health clinic, which is just like a lot of prescription medicine, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's part of what led me to, um, back to school for nurse midwifery. Um, I hope to be done in about a year with my program. And, um, as a, as a nurse practitioner and a nurse midwife, I just like, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, really, really trying to make an impact, like at the very beginning, yeah. you know, for, for young families, like preconception counseling on nutrition and, um, you know, the prenatal work that we can do, um, lactation and breastfeeding counseling yeah. and, um, just helping families to, to get a good start right from the beginning. is just yeah. like my dream job. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for you. I mean, I've been around it now for about 15 years and, and I've, I've been involved in some of the pre, you know, sort of workshops around education, understanding how to build a, you know, sort of support system around yourself, why breastfeeding is important, you know, what, what you can do to, to make it a positive, you know, experience and, and that kind of thing. And it's, and it's, it's, I, I feel the same way. It's crucial if, if we, and, and I, I also think that it's a lot of times where you can really make impact even for the parents at, at that point, because, you know, I find a lot of, you know, parents, they may have been sort of, you know, more active and healthy when they were younger, then they got a little deeper into their careers and they got married and the, you know, the overwhelm starts to kind of kick in and to have somebody right there at that moment to be your sort of, you know, support system and help keep you sort of, you know, checked in and on track. And this is where I think the integrative approach would be so nice is that 
and and I I build these you know bridges a lot of times just because I know that I can educate people, but I also try to like help them understand who the other people in the community are that they could also sort of have on on their side and 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 then I then I just feel like I'm making an impact on the entire ecosystem of the family too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? You, do you have any idea about what you're going to do with this new? What, what your new balance will look like between being, you know, with being a midwife and and doing nurse practitioner? Yeah, I mean, I love my my patients so much that I take care of right now, and so I'm not going anywhere for them. I'm even still going to be here, but I think that um, you know, as I continue, I think that my focus might just shift a little bit. You know, in terms of being a, a midwife, it might focus a little bit more on women's healthcare. Um, and, and with that nurse practitioner background, family nurse practitioner background, I'm going to be able to, you know, just take care of the whole family, yeah. um, which I think is so rewarding, you know. Do you have any thoughts about what could potentially change in our, in our systems or do you, do you see anything sort of down the road a little bit that might, that might help the impact of, you know, people being able to have more access to some other in- integrative approaches or to be able to be better educated through, you know, through, you know, a, a relationship with someone in a, in a health system, insurance-based system? I think that it's going to take work on a policy level, Jeremy. I, like, I think I, so too. It's, I think that you and I, like, we definitely are, are like-minded in that we bring that holistic approach to our practices and we try to we try to surround our patient with everybody on the team that we feel like would, you know, benefit the patient. But, um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you, if you have a a high deductible insurance plan and you just can't afford the physical therapy, you know, or the, the chiropractic treatment or whatever, like it just, it's a, it's a barrier uh, so many times. And, and I feel like, in primary care, especially, I tell people I'm the jack of all trades and the master of none, or I know a, a little bit about everything. And so yep. I feel like I can, I can do a decent, like, surface level job addressing the big picture. Yeah. Um, but I but I am, at the end of the day, like, the hub of that spoke wheel. And my job is really to, like, help coordinate care for people. Yeah. Um, and... And try to just, you know, um, empower people, you know, with that education to, to make good choices. And um, but but yes, back to your original question, I do think that at the end of the day, um, like I said, I just I hope that I hope that we can come to a place where as a nation, we recognize that healthcare needs to be a human right for all people. Yeah. So this, this is just coming up as I'm hearing you talk, but, you know, I'm, I've been thinking a lot more about having done the, the podcast for the last four years, one of my reasons for starting it was, was really to sort of like improve access to resource for, you know, people who are actually, you know, my, I, at first I thought I was sort of appealing more to, to health practitioners. And then I started realizing that there were a lot more people who were not health practitioners <laughs> listening to the podcast and that this wasn't over people's heads. And I tried to keep it, you know, you know, the, the, the language as simple as possible, because honestly, even between, you know, health fields, we don't have a very good way of, uh, of common language, really, sometimes of being able to communicate with each other. You know, if you don't know anything about fascia and you were working on an orthopedic issue together, or if we're working on trauma together, it doesn't matter what it is. We, we need to be able to speak the same, the same language. So are, is there anything that you could, you know, that, that you could think of from your experience that you think people are in need of in terms of resource at, at this moment? I think it's the food, Jeremy. Like I, I think that, that is where it 
earth. It's just, oh, to be able to, to source good food. I feel like I am in a very privileged place living on a farm and having a lot of connections to, um, boy, we subscribe to a couple different CSAs. Um, you know, we, we source our fish from, you know, like this, uh, very, um, ethical, ethically fished, um, sustainable fishing company. It's called Sika Salmon Shares. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we were very mindful about why, where we buy all of our meat. Like I, I buy, um, our dairy is organic belly dairy. Like I, I'm super mindful, like so many people are about where they're spending their food dollars. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that like some people just, A, they don't know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know about the importance of, you know, the carrot that you can buy from the grocery store versus the carrot that I can buy from Davis and Tobin. But I also have to like keep at a decent temperature in my garage so that it doesn't, you know, get wilty on me. Right. <laughs> you know, all that it takes, it takes a lot of time and effort to, um, to not only like obtain healthy food, but then to cook healthy food. Um, and I just think that like, like I had alluded to earlier, the way that our, the way that our society um, does healthcare in that you have to be like, you have to sell a part of your soul to your employer in order to get your healthcare. Um, For so many people, it just means working 40 plus hours a week and not having the flexibility, um, you know, to be able to, um, to, to do the work of, of the food prep and and all of that. But um, I think that trying to eat, you know, organic food. Um, I, I really do believe that that's important and it's not just because I'm an organic, you know, married to an organic farmer, but, yeah. uh, you know, the amount of the residual pesticides, um, fungicides, herbicides, just, um, you know, when you dig into the research on, on residual glyphosate and, um, some of the preservatives in our processed foods, um, there's no wonder that we see an increase with autism and we yeah. see an increase with our, um, you know, anxiety, depression, suicide rates, um, yeah. substance abuse. I mean, the list goes on and on, but I just, I, I guess if you were to ask me one, you know, one thing I would just say, it starts with the food. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I would say that it starts with the, with the land. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, and and not not in the and in, in the respect of what we've been talking about previous, um, but like standing on the on the dirt, like or, or or sitting on the dirt, or you know being on dirt on the earth, like and experiencing it um, brings a lot of mental health, I think, also, which yeah. will lead better decisions, and um, just being okay with yourself, like you know, it's. Um, it's it's nice to be able to get outside and have space where you can you know think about things and you know think about where you're headed next and try to figure out what it is you're doing and why it is you're doing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's that that was what you, that's exactly one of the things I was thinking about when I was watching this. There's because I do some work with like talk therapy and and stuff too. Like I I end up with in a lot of these conversations where when we're talking about you know some of the things that people are are suffering from. Sometimes it's because they 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 have a really poor relationship with themselves. You know, sort of starting with that primary thing. And so I'll often talk to people about this, about you know, being mindful of your of your thoughts and the that inner dialogue and what's going on with those kinds of things. 
But then after I was watching this documentary, I, I wrote down a note about how, you know, we 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 have a we have to really develop our our relationship with the planet, and that that's the one thing we aren't really that engaged with most of us. And you know, you guys are <laughs> clearly, but but there's there's something that's almost you know in terms of purpose, like what you're talking about, Luke. I think that's that's where that source of our, our sense of purpose comes from. Is you know that is really the interconnected piece that that pulls it all together. Is is what's that? What's our relationship with the planet that we're you know getting nourished by? And one thing that we aren't addressing is access to that land. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're fortunate. We grew up around it. Um, my parents own land, um, which led us into renting from more neighbors. We don't own any farmland ourselves, but we did grow up in this community. Mm -hmm. Um, if you came in from outside of this community, I would almost say you have zero chance as far as accessing any land because of the capital that it takes to rent it and the capital that it takes to farm it. Um, so that is an issue upon itself. That is a long conversation and I don't have any answers, but I, there's, there's opportunity there. I think the opportunity is growing as far as growing food and becoming a small scale farmer. But at the same time, I think that that is an unrealistic expectation to ask somebody to start from scratch on a piece of land and start growing food and try to be profitable. Um, just because of things like of what healthcare costs, that alone, like you guys were talking about, <laughs> yeah, it's over. Like you can't even get started. I, right. And there's a lot of books out there, and there's a lot of um, Netflix uh, series and stuff about. Like another another documentary was the Biggest Little Farm, and yeah. Yeah. at the farmer watching that, it's like, man, you got one pig. that alone was it's a good movie and it gets the point across as far as you know what the earth could be like yeah um and what what our communities could be like what our farms could be like but if we aren't competitive with the existing model um we'll never get there so you know um like different ethnic groups coming into farming the challenges are events, and and I, th- I think at the policy level, like you were saying, Ali, I think we ha- we have to get back to a point where we're where we're actually like that's the only way we're going to make some you know wholesale big shift is if we start looking at this and saying who can we support to make this if 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 this is really both an environmental and health issue those policy pieces the science is there I think I don't I don't think there's too many questions at this point. We, we, you know the 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 changeover into something else obviously takes money and and time, but I think you have to start with some policy, you know, fairly quickly. And yeah, maybe not everybody can can get in the game, but you. But I think it's it's important to start thinking about who we can help support to to get into the game and really look at look at what the outcomes are with those people who have already been been doing it and support. I mean, just watching it, I, I started thinking. How how could how could someone support you know Peterson Farms, who is probably getting fed by you know some <laughs> you know degrees of separation to the work that you're doing? I mean that's that's the kind of thing I think that needs to happen. And 
I'm not not exactly sure if if that's something that can happen just in some kind of community-oriented way. I feel like the policy is still a ways off, but I'd like to see these things move a little faster. So I'm, I, do you guys have any any experience with that? Or I'm sure this has been a conversation <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, I think that meaningful change, doesn't it always seem to start at the grassroots level? Right, like it right. starts by people just like making shifts in their day-to-day choices. Like yeah. we were talking about where you're spending your food dollars. And yes, it is going to take more time and energy um, up front, but yeah. you know, it's, it's going to be more expensive up front, but the cheap food, I would argue that the costs, you know, way away yeah. <laughs> the expense up front. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The externalities of cheap food, uh, you know, that's, that's where the costs really come. But, um, I, I, and I see the government as a follower. I don't see them as a leader okay. um, from where I stand with, as far as farming, um, they love to use terms like regenerative and soil health and all this stuff in, yeah. in the policy that they write. Sounds nice. Sounds so nice. But when you go <laughs> in and it, it's just that what they're trying to do is, is solve a problem on a national level. And every farm is very different from one another. I can have one farm that is a hundred yards from the other one. It can be one fence line away yeah. and it should be farmed completely different. So we have the same policy that is stretched over the entire country where you have rangeland that should be grazed that is now being plowed up to plant corn because of the subsidies that go along with planting corn. Yeah. So it is throwing everything off um, in every which way possible. Yeah. And then like, like the grassroots level, um, if you look at a, a business like Bakersfield Flour and Bread or the food building in Northeast Minneapolis, yeah, uh, what they're doing there is grassroots. I mean, they put a mill in a warehouse and we started delivering wheat to them and they started milling it and then they started making bread with it and selling loaves of bread one at a time. Like that is a, as grassroots as you get where you carry yeah. a bucket of wheat up in a mill watch it mill and then turn it into a loaf of bread. Meanwhile, General Mills is running millions of pounds of flour a day. Yeah. Right? So it's like, it, it, that is such a good example, I feel like, as far as how business um, can kind of change things for people that want change. Yeah. If you want that change, that's probably a good place to go spend your food dollars. Gotcha. You know, and like, if, uh, and that's just one of the places, just an example, yeah, right? Yeah. And like that creates real change because that allows me to plant small grains. And I'm one of the only farmers that has small grains in my rotation because of a business like that. Yeah. And that adds to the diversity. And it, it, it and we're, we're a small farm. They're a small male. But that's the point yeah. is to have a lot of small farms and a lot of small businesses. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. And, and you know, as part of the reason why I, I want to make sure that you guys stay part of this conversation because I see all the work you guys are doing. And, you know, I, I, I think it's important. I th- the, you know, one of the, one of the things I've, you know, really wanted to start pushing more into with the podcast is who these communities of people are. 
I want to make sure that people see, you know, what what the kind of work that you're doing. You guys also, I love I love the fact that you're doing these Instagram posts and these and these live videos of you guys out in the field. So it just like warms my heart. I just to look on there and also see your kids kind of you know riding around with you and doing all these all these things too. But I I think you know what you were saying earlier, Luke. I think there's there's something about just being on the land and 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 developing a relationship with it as you're talking about it. and one of the things i've been doing through the pandemic is going on hikes on saturdays with with some some friends so those like you know one of the more safe ways we can hang out right now and just being outside and i haven't spent this much time which is like it's crazy that i that this is something i haven't taken advantage of but you know the minneapolis st paul area is just all lakes and rivers and and park systems. There's so mm-hmm. much of it, and and we've gotten to see so many different places. And just to be out in it for you know maybe an hour and a half, two hours on on the weekend, just really you know immersed in it. I, I feel like it's been a huge mental health thing for me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, you guys, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know you guys are quite busy, and um, I'll make sure that people have links to all, to all your stuff. And um, you know, stay in touch and, and keep keep up with us. Let it, let us know what's happening. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. The yeah. pleasure has been ours, Jimmy. All Absolutely. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Luke and Allie Peterson, folks. Every time I talk to these two, I feel a little better. I feel inspired to become more connected to the land and the food. And I'm hoping that by having these conversations, we might all make more informed decisions regarding our health and our choices. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me through the website on the contact page, that's highway2.health. And while you're there, take a look around. And if you feel the resource that we provide here has a value and you'd like to see this project grow, consider becoming a supporter of the show. Uh, which you can also do right there on the front page. There's a button right at the top of the website. And if you'd like to learn more about Peterson Farms and their offerings, check out aframefarm.com. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet, especially the topsoil. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.